0: Welcome to the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS soundbites. I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. In this episode, I'll bring you up to date on the important peer-reviewed research and reviews from our latest issue. Let's get started. Obesity and diabetes are common in patients with severe mental illness and linked to adverse cardiovascular outcomes. Antipsychotic and antidepressant medications have been associated with adverse metabolic outcomes. glucagon like peptide analogs or GLP analogs promote both diabetes control and weight loss and most also lower adverse cardiovascular outcomes, making them ideal agents for patients with severe mental illness. Studies of these at-risk patients are scarce and inconclusive. Thus, the authors of this issue's continuing medical education offering analyzed patients on antipsychotic medications after referral to a university-affiliated diabetes clinic, comparing patients started on GLP analogs to those on alternative diabetes treatments. A total of 46 patients who were prescribed antipsychotic medications during the entire study period were included in this retrospective analysis of electronic records. 11 patients were started on a GLP analog, and 35 patients were treated with alternative antidepressant agents. Within one year, a similar reduction in glycosylated hemoglobin of about 1.4% was noted for both groups. However, while patients on GLP analogs lost more than 5% of their weight, control patients gained weight. The authors also noted blunted glycosylated hemoglobin reductions in patients who took antidepressants in addition to antipsychotic medications. However, patients who took GLP analogs had significantly larger glycosylated hemoglobin reductions than patients on alternative regimens. The authors conclude that GLP analogs promote both diabetes and weight control in diabetic patients on antipsychotic medications with or without concurrent use of antidepressant medications. College students rank sleep problems second only to stress among factors that negatively impact academic performance. Sleepiness from any cause can impact learning, memory grades perception of effort and mood the objective of this study was to determine the prevalence of excessive daytime sleepiness among medical students and establish a relationship between self-perceived sleepiness and psychological distress In a cross-sectional study, 441 medical students from a public-sector university in Pakistan completed a questionnaire that measured daytime sleepiness with the Epworth Sleepiness Scale and mental health with the 12-item General Health Questionnaire. The results showed that excessive daytime sleepiness is prevalent among medical students, but often goes unrecognized in primary health care settings. Gender Average hours of sleep per night and numbers of caffeinated drinks consumed per day were reliable indicators of excessive daytime sleepiness. Excessive daytime sleepiness was also significantly associated with psychological distress. Improvement in the quality and pattern of sleep will contribute to a reduction in psychological distress among medical students. Careful planning with regard to appropriate university policies and class schedules is required to encourage healthy and adequate sleep among medical students, which could have a significant impact on their learning, academic performance, and health. England's National Health Service makes data on demographics, prescribing, location, and specific conditions in general practices publicly available. The GP Patient Survey captures patients' views of their general practice. The objective of this study was to determine how patients' experience of a general practice may relate to the volume of antidepressant prescribing at that practice. The authors examined how antidepressant prescribing rates relate to specific GP patient survey metrics. Postal questionnaires were sent out to 2.2 million adults registered with general practices in England from January to March 2018. The average annual antidepressant practice prescribing rate was 0.11, with 90% of practices falling between 40% and 160% of this value. Practices with a higher overall experience rating prescribed more antidepressants. Practices more effective in empowering their patients, as assessed by the question, How confident are you that you can manage any issues arising from your condition or conditions? prescribed less antidepressants. The difference between the lowest and higher decile of prescribing for this response was over 10% and potentially modified by changing practice approach. Practices with a higher overall patient experience rating appear to prescribe more antidepressants and practices more effective in empowering their patients appear to prescribe less. The authors suggest that antidepressants are only a single facet of depression treatment and patient empowerment may be a key intervention. A limited number of studies have investigated QT wave dispersion in depression. Thus, the authors of this study investigated whether QT wave dispersion differed in patients diagnosed with depression compared to a control group and if the difference correlated with depression and anxiety scores. Forty patients diagnosed with depression who did not receive their first treatment after the first episode were included in the study, along with 40 healthy controls. A sociodemographic and clinical data form, the Beck Depression Inventory, and the Beck Anxiety Inventory were given to all participants. All participants also received electrocardiograms, which were evaluated by a cardiologist. No statistically significant difference was found between the patient and control groups on the basis of age, sex, BMI, or smoking. However, back anxiety and depression scores were significantly higher in depressed patients compared to control's. Corrected QT values of depressed patients were also higher than those of controls, and there was a positive correlation between corrected QT dispersion values and depression and anxiety scores. Increased QT dispersion is a predisposing factor in the development of sudden cardiac death from ventricular arrhythmia. Thus, it is important to identify arrhythmias in high-risk patient groups and take necessary precautions without causing complications. Prediction of certain cardiac risk with an easily applicable, cost-effective, inexpensive, and practical method such as electrocardiogram may provide diagnostic and treatment convenience. Do patients with long-term alcohol use have an increased risk of arrhythmia and sudden death? The authors of this study set out to answer this question by identifying the changes in QT dispersion, corrected QT dispersion, and P-wave dispersion values that could lead to severe ventricular arrhythmia, atrial fibrillation, and sudden death in patients with long-term alcohol abuse. This cross-sectional study included 48 individuals diagnosed with alcohol use disorder and 48 individuals who did not abuse alcohol or other substances. Patients with a history of psychiatric diseases were not included. Patients with alcohol use disorder had elevations in all electrocardiogram measures, including significantly higher QT dispersion, corrected QT dispersion, and P-wave dispersion values compared to the control group. Patients with a long history of excessive alcohol use had an increased risk of arrhythmia and sudden death. The authors maintain that electrocardiogram, which can be easily obtained, and subsequent referral to cardiologic examination, will contribute to the follow-up and health of patients with alcohol use disorder. Kratom is an addictive substance derived from a plant species native to Thailand and Southeast Asia. It has stimulant-like effects at lower doses and opioid-like effects at higher doses and has gained popularity as an inexpensive and accessible alternative to manage symptoms of opioid use disorder and pain. However, increased use of kratom as an alternative treatment for opioid withdrawal symptoms has raised concerns regarding its potential for abuse and severe adverse effects. In this article, the authors review the most up-to-date literature on Kratom's pharmacology, clinical efficacy, and adverse effects to increase understanding and evaluate its potential use as an alternative treatment for opioid dependence. Kratom use initiated as self-medication for an opioid use disorder or pain syndrome in the absence of effective alternatives is associated with a risk of dependence, withdrawal, and life-threatening toxicity. The potential for serious adverse reaction should discourage unregulated use of kratom products hyperprolactinemia is frequently observed in patients treated with antipsychotic medications. The objective of this brief report was to demonstrate how effectively aripripazole can be utilized to manage antipsychotic-induced hyperprolactinemia. The authors analyzed the files of three female patients with a history of psychotic illness and hyperprolactinemia who were treated at a state hospital. All were found to have elevated prolactin levels and underwent treatment with aripiprazole in addition to their concomitant medications. They found that, in general, the addition of aripiprazole to the treatment regimen of each of the patients corresponded to a decline in their serum prolactin levels. The author suggests that low-dose treatment with aripriprazole may offer a relatively rapid relief from sustained hyperprolactinemia and associated adverse events even after a long-acting injectable is discontinued. Please visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to find numerous case reports on a variety of topics. You can also browse interactive activities from our CME Institute. We update our website weekly with new postings, so there is always something new to explore. As an all-electronic journal, PCC has an unlimited amount of space in which to publish articles and features. We welcome ideas that any of you may bring to our attention, for we want to expand both the breadth and depth of our articles and specialty sections. Please take advantage of the open invitation to join many of your colleagues in submitting your research to PCC. We also ask that you keep us abreast of trends you see in your practice and topics that would be interesting to explore. Thanks for joining me for this summary of offerings in our current issue of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me for the next installment of the PCC podcast, Your Place for CNS Soundbites.